and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanless Podcast. Uh, the French Open is underway, the second Grand Slam of the year, and already there's been a lot to talk about, actually, in terms of uh, some big results and uh, some players looking really good so far. So we're really looking forward to entertaining you for an hour or so with that. Uh, we've also got uh, a little section coming up that you'll hear just in a bit with uh, tennis journalist from the eye, James Gray. Uh, so they're really happy to have him on and that should be a really good listen. Um, and then joining me later on in the second section will be Marcus Alley. So I'm delighted to be joined by James Gray, uh, sports journalist uh, covering tennis for the eye uh, and also for news.co.uk, I-news.co.uk, I beg your pardon. Um, James, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. Yeah, I'm um, always a bit sleep deprived in the kind of first week of a slam because there's so much going on. But yeah, uh, just enjoying having grandson tennis and, and a bit of um, a bit with fans in as well. It's been kind of rubbish having all these silent courts the last few months. So yeah, it's, I've actually really enjoyed it for the first couple of days. Yeah, I think uh, anyone watching Girl Monfils the other day can really agree with it being amazing to have the, the fans back in the stadium uh, and, and, and seeing that interaction. It's something that we we really miss. And as you say, so much going on uh, in the first week of Sam World. It's not even the end of four days yet, uh, <laughs> as we talk Nadal and, and Gasquet currently in action. That one not looking like it's going to be going on too long. Um, but the, the main talking point, I think, this tournament has been Naomi Osaka, um, the number two seed uh, Australian Open champion, announced um, earlier or, or last week that she wouldn't be uh, taking part in press conferences during this tournament. Um, she won her first match against Maria Tig and uh, was true to her word. She did chat, I think, a little bit to uh, Fabrice Santoro on court but didn't go uh, into a media um, conference. She was fined uh, £15,000, I think it was, and uh, the Grand Slams issued a statement uh, sort of basically telling her that she needed to do her, her press conferences. Um, otherwise, there might be penalties awaiting her. Uh, and after this, uh, ahead of a second round match against Bogdan, she actually pulled out. Um, she said it was probably better for her and better for the players and for the tournament that uh, she withdrew, she understood that her timing was perhaps a little bit out and her message could have been clearer. Um, very, very unique situation, I think. It's not one that I've really known about. Uh, you know, quite often you, you have heard of sports people not wanting to talk to the media, but it's generally just because they've lost a match, a um, bit, bit angry. But uh, Osaka doing it to protect her mental health, uh, something that... Of course, I think we can all respect. But uh, what's been your your main take from this this saga that we've seen? It's been fascinating, partly because it involves the media directly, uh, and if there's one thing we as the media love talking about, it's ourselves, um, which I kind of inevitably. So from that perspective, it's been really interesting, and you know, I've had the luxury in my life of covering a lot, quite a few different sports and 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 things like news stories outside of sport as well. So I, I kind of have a little bit of an outsider's view on, on the tennis media. You know, I'm not really part of the clique per se. Uh, I don't cover tennis 12 months of the year. I cover it about nine months of the year, but, you know. Um, so I, I feel that the tennis media definitely has a lot to work on. I think it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It's not professional enough. 
uh, that that's kind of by necessity you know tennis is in reality quite a small sport it's not football basically so there aren't actually lots of paid professional journalists covering tennis certainly not as many as something like football and so you do get at tennis press conferences some rogue questions and they, they can be really rubbish and people fall asleep sometimes and some people don't know what the result of the match was and like you sit there and roll your eyes and there's not a huge amount you can do about it I've never really considered it from the perspective of the player <laughs> to be perfectly honest I've never thought oh well how scary is this to do a press conference especially because Osaka gets you know she gets a pretty easy easy ride from the press she always has to be honest because she's you know really interesting she's a nice person she comes across well she's a new face which is always welcome in tennis so from that perspective I was pretty surprised I think what what frustrates me is that had her second statement come out first and the first one never existed this whole debate would have been framed so differently because it wouldn't have been about the media really it would have been about Naomi Osaka it would have been about anxiety in sport about young athletes whereas because you know whether she meant it or not I don't know because the first one was such a swipe at the media and it was I don't I don't think that was accidental necessarily I don't know but it did come across like that because of that it, it, it changed the whole framing of the debate which which kind of frustrated me and and so you're left with this situation now where well do we still everyone's still having this conversation about press conferences when Osaka's kind of said that it's not really about press conferences. It's more about her and, and her anxiety disorder, whatever you want to call it. And so I think we find ourselves in this weird situation where we're having a debate about a statement that's kind of been supersumed by, by something she said. And I think it's just, it's left us all a little bit confused as to what to think. Um, of course, some people think they know the answer, Piers Morgan being the, the primary example. And like, this is the problem whenever I find whenever a sports story kind of, hits the mainstream. I mean, look, the discourse is not best, not great at the best of times, but when it hits the mainstream, you, you get everyone sticking their oar in, having an opinion, often without really knowing all the facts or, or knowing the full landscape. So I think at this point that the discourse has just lost its, in itself, but are we going to see some real changes out of it? I think we'll have to, because Naomi Osaka is the biggest sportswoman in the world. She's decided she wants change, so there will be change. It's a very interesting take, James, actually. I think you're, the point you make about we're having this debate about perhaps something that wasn't meant to be um, given by, by the statement and perhaps isn't actually what the problem is, is something that I hadn't really considered. And I think uh, it, it is a really good take on that. Um, I, the other thing I was going to ask you is obviously, um, and, and this comes into the aspect of change as you're talking about, um, We've always seen it up to now as it being part of a player's job to go and speak to the press after matches. And now I've heard suggestions that maybe it should be optional uh, whether you should go to a press conference. But then, you know, I'm thinking we're only really going to hear from winners. We're never really going to hear from losers if, if that became the, uh, the, the rule. Do you think uh, that it is a player's obligation? Do you think it comes with the job if they're going to be a professional tennis player? Do you think that means they are signing up to do uh, the press conference, conferences, sorry, or do you think that it's it's a whole other aspect? Uh, it's a really interesting point, um, and it only applies to individual sports. Because, of course, in team sports, if you've scored an own goal and been sent off, there's no chance in hell that 
your manager is going to put you up for the media. Uh, and the managers really are the only people who, who have to go and stomach it, you know, win or lose. Uh, in football, they have this thing called a mixed zone, which is where players are contractually obliged to walk through a tunnel where the media are also allowed to stand. And basically, as a journalist, you stand there and wave and go, oh, Pascal, a quick word for whoever. And 99.9% of the time, they walk past you and ignore you, unless you happen to know one quite well. And even then, I, there's a great story about David Lynch, who covers Liverpool, saying to Saidi Amane, who quite, knew quite well, oh, Saidi, a quick word for Liverpool Echo. And I apologise, I know I'm going off on a tangent here. And Saidi said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, my agent says I've got to go, but can I just give you a hug? <laughs> and so he just gave him a hug and... Yeah, David was like, well, I can't really write 500 words about that, but I'll try. Um, so do I think it's a player's obligation to do media? Yes, because Naomi Osaka is in a privileged position. She is one of like three female tennis players in the world, current players, who are household names, if that. You know, Arena Sabalenka is a brilliant player. She will win a Grand Slam one day, but no one knows who she is. Even Ash Barty, for goodness sake. I think if you asked 80% of people in the UK who Ash Barty was, they wouldn't know. And she's the world number one. So to a certain extent, I think that Osaka should realise that she's in an extremely privileged position that, you know, she made $55 million in endorsements last year because she's hugely successful and well done to her. But she should realise that she's in the privileged position of not having to promote herself anymore. Like she, you know, the, the, and it is a very precarious balance, but the Seahorse has tipped on that. You ask almost any other tennis player, do you think media is part of your job? And of course, they all have been this week, and they all say yes, because they know that they have to still fight for headlines. Naomi Osaka has flipped the other side. She's fighting to avoid headlines. I don't deny that it's incredibly difficult to be that young and that famous, but I also think that... The, she is in the she's in the minority. It's the thin end of the wedge, and I don't, I'm not you know dismissing any sort of anxiety issues or whatever. But she should realise that yes, I'm sure they can change the rules. But if they made press conferences optional in tennis, about three people would refuse to do them. Everyone else knows that they need them as much as we need them. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's very interesting, and I think as you you talk a lot about. Asaka there and perhaps realising the, the position that she's in and, and taking that into consideration. Um, obviously, she said in her statement uh, she's going to take uh, some time away from the court. I believe today uh, she's announced that she's not going to be playing in Berlin, where she was going to be playing uh, prior to Wimbledon. Um, I'm not sure, actually, if she's got any other tournaments uh, scheduled before Wimbledon or, or if Wimbledon was going to be her next one. Um, do you think that we're likely to see her at Wimbledon. I know it's kind of an impossible question because I think she's only the she's the only person who does know. Uh, but but do you see we might do sorry do you think we might not be seeing uh, Naomi Osaka on court for quite some while after this? I would be surprised if she plays Wimbledon. To be perfectly honest, um, partly she's not very good on grass. She hasn't been. Um, you know she's a brilliant hard court player, but I think she's. She never got past the third round of Wimbledon, um, and if you're not going to play the the warm up tournament, then I don't I don't see that she would get a lot out of it, given given what's gone on. Um, the the press, if she has this view of the press that she does, they're not a lot better in the UK. They're they're probably worse from from her perspective. So I I think that would only be more difficult. 
you know, if she finds it hard speaking to the world's media, try doing it at probably the most prestigious Grand Slam in the world. Uh, so I, I a plus, you know, she's in L.A. now. Uh, so there's obviously a lot of travel required to get to the U.K. She'd have to be hitting on grass at the moment, which she may well not be. She's obviously got her hardcore swing, potentially a Tokyo Olympics, you know, which is massive for her, the Tokyo Olympics to deal with. So I just think that Wimbledon is so low on the, her list of priorities that I would be surprised to see her there, which is I think is a great shame because I actually think that once she gets her head round grass court tennis and, and learns how to move on it, because the surface isn't that different, actually. I asked her in Australia what she thought of grass and, and whether she thought she could become a, a good grass court player. And God knows, maybe I was putting doubts in her mind about grass there. And, you know, you get that kind of reconsideration about things in the past. But when she said, oh, well, grass isn't that different because it, it's slowed down so much that it's basically like a hardcore. And she's right. It, it's so slow now and the bounce is relatively high. The really the only difference is learning how to move on it. I mean, you could slide on grass now. You slide on hardcore. So, um, yeah, once she gets her head around that, I think she will be a Wimbledon champion one day. I'd be surprised if she didn't win multiple Wimbledons. But, no, I think this year, it, you know, it's only, it's only three and a half weeks away. What, what would be the point for her? I, I don't see she get much out of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think a first round or second round loss, uh, considering what's happened in France, could be just even more damaging uh, for her if, mm. if that was to happen. Um, so yeah, you you lead me not quite nicely on there uh, to the the women's draw at the French Open. If we look away from Osaka, we have actually had some tennis being played this week. Um, Ash Barty retiring today in her match against Magda Linet of Poland, uh, which I think really now means there's only one woman in the draw to beat. She's only 20 years old, but it looks like all the pressure's on her now with a. Uh, Iga Swiatek uh, watched her just now, actually against uh, Peterson of Sweden. She was completely playing off the court. Um, it surprises me just how young she actually is, winning it last year, of course, and uh, and and looking fantastic this year. Do you think there's anyone in the draw that you would give much of a chance of, of stopping Swiatek, or, or do you really see this as as hers to lose now? I think it is massively hers to lose. Uh, she, she's the best player, form player in the draw. She's the best play court player in the draw. You know, I, I don't see anyone in the top. I thought Barty Schwantek would have been a really great match. Um, it's really sad that Barty's had this hip that sounds desperately unlucky, pretty much just flared up at the weekend and then you've got no time to recover. Uh, I thought that would have been a cracking match in, in whatever it would have been, the fourth round or the quarterfinal because of the way the draw is. Uh, but we're now not going to get that, so that's a shame. Oh, it would have been a semi, actually, wouldn't it? What we're talking about. Anyway, so I think she's a finalist, almost guaranteed. You know, I think she might get maybe Kostjuk in the fourth round, which would be quite a fun match, but she's not going to lose it. Uh, you know, Coco Goff, if she gets that far, might give her a go. But again, it's, you know, they're not players who are actually going to beat her. So you're looking at the bottom half, and I've picked out for a while um, Irina Sabalenka as someone who has probably got a slam in her this year. Uh, she seems to have got her head in a better place. I think that's probably been the thing holding her back. Um, I, I wouldn't have predicted the French Open necessarily because she, she's, well, she got the third round here last year. I think that was her best performance. And then she's not obviously a natural clay quarter because she she just batters it. You know, she, she doesn't really care what surface she's on. She gives it a whack. So um, I wasn't necessarily expecting this to be her moment, but the draws opened up, you know, if Serena gets that far, I think Sabalenka still beats her, and I'm not convinced that Serena will get that far. 
Azarenka again, you know, not not the toughest matchup in the world for her. So I think that's your final. Um, I'll tell you who the third favourite is for the French Open is Paolo Bedosa, Paola Bedosa, which is just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think she's a great player and she's really improved over the last 12 months or so. But that kind of tells you everything you need to know about the draw, that we've got so many stars or potential stars in the women's game at the moment and they've just all vanished. And it's such a shame, you know, because I think that there's a top 10 now of women's players almost all of whom you can make a case for winning a Grand Slam at any given moment, plus a couple of others, by the way. And then, you know, Gobinia Muguruza goes out in the first round, you lose Barty and Osaka before Thursday in the first week. And, and, and Simona Halep obviously pulling out injured before the tournament even started. So, yeah, I, I really struggle to see anyone stopping Shontek for the final. I think Sabalenka would give her a good go. I think there's also a real possibility that match could be like one and two just because of the way Sabalenka plays, because Svantec hits such a flat ball, it, it could end up being a bit messy. I desperately hope it's not. I desperately hope, like, Coco Goff takes her, you know, to, to a final set tiebreak or something ridiculous. Oh, they don't play final set tiebreaks, do they? Um, so I desperately hope there's more to it than that. But who cares? Superstars are going to superstar. So let's have a, a, a returning champion in Iga Svantec. Yeah, I believe I heard a stat earlier. She'd be the first uh, back-to-back winner uh, on the women's side of things at the French Open since I think it was it 0708, I think uh, Justin NM um, mm. around then. Yeah, um, and a big stat really when you look, of course, at the men's side when you almost had only one winner since that time. <laughs> uh, with obviously the, there was a couple of years where it, that didn't happen. Uh, one more question I wanted to ask you uh, on the women's side. You you t- spoke about Serena Williams. You said you didn't think that she would make the semi. Uh, but looking at the draw, obviously she, I think it's one more Grand Slam she has to win, isn't it? Until she overtakes Margaret Court. Or equals um, Margaret Court, yeah. Yeah, uh, oh sorry, equals Margaret Court. And um, and I think would it be the first slam since uh, giving birth uh, for Serena Williams? Mm. I look at the draw now and I wonder, do you think because of these players going out of the draw, do you think it's possibly the best chance she's actually had? I know obviously she was in the final against Osaka a couple of years ago. She has made, she has got further, but I'm now just looking at the other uh, women in the draw. I do just feel that if Serena Williams can really turn up and get it going, uh, this this could be a one that that really she she's got to go for. Hmm. Well, it's funny you say that, Mike, because I literally wrote something today which was entitled is this the best chance Serena Williams is ever going to have? And I think it is. I think it is the best chance she's had to win a slam. I mean, she's been in four finals since 2017. But I think the point I was making in what I wrote for the paper was, this is the best chance. She's not going to get another one like this. It's on clay, which obviously she wouldn't choose. But the bottom half is empty. Barring Sabalika, you know, the whole draw, I think eight of the top 13 women are out. There's only five seeds left in the bottom half. Paola Bedosa is a 33rd seed. She's not really a, a seed, good as she may be. There's really not a lot to be afraid of. I think also with Serena, the, the thing I've questioned pretty much since she came back from, from giving birth, and we shouldn't dismiss the fact that having, you know, she had two pulmonary embolisms. She nearly died giving birth. To come back and play any sort of elite level tennis is pretty remarkable. But to then be pursuing this 24th Grand Slam is a, a huge goal. I, I looked at her against Berzinescu, and she looked in better shape than I think she has through this whole comeback. I just looked at her and I thought, I don't know whether it was just 
the way she was moving around the court or whether it was the outfit she was wearing or whatever it was, but I just looked at her and thought she looks like more of an athlete than she has for a while. And I don't, I don't mean that to sound too personal, but kind of inevitable when you're talking about sport and, and, and when you try and eyeball someone. Um, I, I just think if it weren't for Sabalenka, I'd be with you. I think this is that she could actually win this, but she's still, she's 10 to one with the bookies. And I think that tells you a lot because she's got to try and get through Sabalenka in the quarterfinal, I think. I mean, let's not write off Daniel Collins, by the way, because um, she, she's played some pretty remarkable tennis. Uh, I know she's not really had any tests in the French so far, but she's done some, done some good things this year and over the last 12 months. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, look, I would love Serena to win the French Open and win Wimbledon, and we can stop talking about Margaret Court for the rest of our lives uh, because the woman is a problem, to say the least. Uh, I also think, and again, it's, it's something I wrote for my piece, and I hadn't done the maths on it in a while, and it's one of those things you sort of forget. Margaret Court's 24 Grand Slam titles. 13 of them are before the Open Era, which, you know, for people I'm sure listening to your podcast will know, but often people don't know that before the Open Era, there was no prize money in tennis. It was a strictly amateur sport. And Margaret Court won seven consecutive Australian Opens. Now, as you can imagine, tennis players from Europe didn't go to the Australian Open. I think for the second one she won, the entire field was Australian. So it's, it's kind of, it's this sort of anathema where it's completely illogical to compare Serena Williams's 24 titles, 23 titles to, to Margaret Court's 24, but the history books are what they are. So uh, she's just going to have to go and win two more. I'd give her two tomorrow if we could just take Margaret Court off the books, but apparently can't do that. I, I like your thinking, James. Um, I think that's actually a discussion Marcus and I have, have had before uh, about the Margaret Court stat and uh, what it actually means and, and whether it means actually nothing. means anything. It's almost meaningless. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, the only other name in the women's draw um, that I suppose we haven't mentioned, uh, there is another Grand Slam winner in there in uh, Sophia Kennan. Mm. Uh, it's still in, uh, got to the third round, although I don't think uh, she's sort of shown too much form on clay. Um, so I wouldn't think that we'd be looking at her going too far into the tournament. Um, no, but... although I would say uh, I had actually, um, I picked Yelena Ostapenko in my fantasy team because I, Same with I, me. Yeah. I think Sophia Kennan is such a sitting duck in any first round. But I think having won that and having, she had a pretty soft second round against uh, Baptiste and she played some quite poor tennis at times. But I kind of think that she will be someone who warms to the task. And, you know, she is a French Open finalist, by the way. She's not, she's not a mug. Um, so I, I do think she will warm to the task. I think Pegula is a bad draw for her. Uh, and I think she's then probably going to get a Sakari in the fourth. So I, I, I don't think she will win. But I, I am sleeping on her less than I was a week ago, put it that way. OK, sure. Um, yeah, so obviously that was the, the women's draw that we've gone through uh, in, in quite a, a, a lot of depth there actually um definitely eager schwantek's to lose is is the message that that we're giving but james are uh, quite hopeful for uh arena sabalenka to get to the final and i, I think at just 23 years old i think sabalenka um yeah it's definitely early 20s i think um, <laughs> yeah i just made a face like, actually yeah she is 23 you're absolutely yeah, bang on. 23 yeah um and, uh, and, of course, Compatria uh, Azarenka still in the uh, the tournament as well. So definitely have a few names to, to look out for in the women's. Um, the section that's coming up in the podcast where Marcus and I really go through the men's side of things uh, in a bit more detail. But I will ask you now, James, as I've got you for another, another few minutes, 
Um, obviously, I won't ask you who you think is going to win the men's because I think, you know, we, we tend to know who the answer is. Um, but especially looking at that bottom half of the draw, is all of the pressure, a little bit like Iga Schwantek actually, is all of the pressure now on, on Stefan Sitsipas in that bottom half of the draw to make his first Grand Slam final? And, and if he didn't make his first Grand Slam final at this tournament, do you think this that could be really, really taxing on him going into the future? Interesting question, actually. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it like that. Um, just because of the way the draw has gone out, it's kind of ended up being under the radar, that, that bottom half of the men's. Um, I think he's a much stronger mental player than he was maybe two years ago. He's got a, a professional mental coach uh, who, goodness knows what, you know, that could be steak oil, I don't know. But I, I think he's clearly paying attention to his mental approach to the game, which is a, a very important thing. And he needed it, to, to be fair. So, yeah, there is a little bit of pressure on him. I think I'm a little bit wary of John Isner, by the way. Um, I don't necessarily think Isner will beat him, but I think he might take a couple of sets off him. And, and you know, if he can pin that that backhand, I think if Isner is serving as well as I've seen him, like, seriously, he, he's, he's 36 and he might be serving better than he's ever served. Uh, and I think if he can pin Titi Pass's backhand a bit, there might be a little bit of uh, trouble there. Uh, but I think he'll come through it. So, yes, I think there is pressure on him. Uh, and he's not an idiot. He will have looked at the draw. He will know that he should make a final here. Um, realistically, there's, there's no one who he will look at. You know, he said he did a really good interview with um, uh, a writer whose name has completely escaped me at the beginning of the year, but I'll remember it in a minute. Uh, Sim Abutil at the beginning of the year, where he said, you know, one of my big goals for 2021 is to beat Rafa at Roland Garros. Now, like, I know Holger Rune says he's going to win 20 Grand Slam titles, uh, possibly all the French. But, you know, when Stefano Tsitsipas says that, he means it. He absolutely has sat, and, and he has beaten Nadal on clay, of course. So he's kind of got that previous. So I think he absolutely believes that he can do it, which is a massive part of, of these young guys advancing in the game. It, it's It's pretty much that they haven't been there and done that yet. But I think he has an enormous amount of belief that he can. Um, if he doesn't, do I think it'll affect him? Not really, because I think he's, he's pretty indestructible these days. He's got a good mentality. You know, he, he's played well so far. He knows he's good enough on clay. As I say, he's already beaten Rafa on clay, which I think is a massive deal. Uh, and, you know, he beat Rafa, obviously, at the Australian as well in that absurd match. So... I think he, he's got a lot, over a lot of hurdles there. You know, the first cut is the deepest. It's always going to be hard to win your first slam or, or to get to your first final. But he's, he's never going to have a better opportunity. And I haven't seen a huge amount of evidence that he's going to crack under that pressure. I think probably the Isner test would be quite good for him because, you know, some, it's like um, if, you're, if you've ever done any boxing work, punching pads and there's no pressure behind them, it's very hard to throw punches. Someone puts pressure on, it's much easier to throw punches. Uh, and I think that's Isner will kind of give him that, give him someone to hit against and and probably warm him up, you know, for Karenia Booster in the fourth round, who, again, kind of a dream Grand Slam fourth round opponent, really, you know, not going to give you much, going to give you something, but but not too much. So, yeah, I, I think he's he's almost a bit like the, the women's draw. He's a bit of a shoo-in for the final. Uh, I think there's still some really interesting matches, and I think he will have a really interesting semi-final opponent because I don't think that Zverev is going to walk his way out of, of his section. I think there's, a, there's 
potentially an upset coming there, whether it's a Davidovich for, Davidovich for Kina, who we're going to hear a lot more about, or, or you know, whether it's Henri Laxanen. I don't know. that there's, there's something definitely going on in that, that little mini section. I just haven't quite worked out what it is yet. Yeah, Kasper is another player that I've, I've really got my eye on in that, that section. A very strong clay court player and really can go in with not too much pressure on him at all. I don't think he's ever been past the third round of the Grand Slam. Uh, so um, that, that would be brilliant uh, for him if he can sort of squeeze his way through. The only other one really in that bottom half of the draw that we, we don't really even mention when we're talking about the French Open is, of course, the number two seed, uh, <laughs> Daniel Medvedev. I put two in sort of inverted commas there. Um is looking a little bit better. Those listening on uh, will both hear that uh, Marcus and I have both gone for Riley Opelka to beat him in five uh, in the next round. Um, perhaps a, a bit of a risky prediction with Opelka not really being a clay court player either. It's going to be quite an ugly match, I think, that match. They're watching two two players that really don't want to be there uh, having to play each other. Yeah, find um, something else to do. Like, follow the score, but definitely have something else to do. Oh, I completely agree with that. That's definitely what I thought when I saw the first round of uh, John Isner against Sam Query. Uh, oh, my goodness. I was going to be watching. Um, but, yeah, and also, I think later on, when you when you hear uh, Marcus and I predicting Sitsipas Isner, I think I said Sitsipas in four. I do reckon uh, Isner could get a set off of him, actually, and, and make maybe in the first one make it tough. But uh, can see Sitsipas getting through that. Um just a very quick look at the top draw. You obviously in the Dow's up there with Djokovic and, and, and Federer. Do you think it's going to have a bit of a different impact on the Dow? Pre- presuming he does get to the final, do you think it's going to have quite a tough impact on him? Because we are quite used to seeing him get kind draws at the French. That's not taking it away from him at all. Of course, he's amazing at the French, but I do feel like I'm used to just watching him. You know, just like now against Gasquet, I feel like I'm used to watching that until the final, pretty much. Do you think having Djokovic in the semi, um, possibly Federer, I think, in the quarter, but obviously Federer's got to get there. Um, or actually, no, is it Federer? Uh, Federer's in Djokovic. I did, yeah, I it's Federer Berrettini. Yeah, it's yeah. Berrettini that uh, I've, I've got to beat Federer. But um, do you think that that's going to change things for Nadal, having a, a tougher half of the draw? Um... It might do a little bit. Uh, I, 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 if you'd asked me that six weeks ago uh, and said, oh, he's going to get dropped into Djokovic's half, I'd have said that's a problem. But he just, he's an absolute master of getting himself in shape at the right time. He just knows how to, you know, he, he's missed a lot of tournaments in his life. He doesn't miss the French Open because this is, his whole year is built around being really fit at the end of, at the end of May and beginning of June. Uh, so, I don't know, maybe moving the French Open a week later. Well, then he, he won it in autumn last year when he really shouldn't have won it either. So I, I don't know. I think it's incredibly hard to see anything throwing him off. Um, I think Yannick Sinner will be a cracking match in the fourth round. He's obviously a, an incredible clay court player. And I'm, that might go to five sets. I don't know. I mean, Sinner, Sinner's played some pretty rogue stuff um, thus far. But I just I think he's someone who can go toe-to-toe with Nadal. I think the Djokovic semi will be really good. And I just can't can't bet against Nadal on any level. Um, you know, he, he's not going to have been pushed that hard, irrespective of how long he plays. He, he is potentially fitter and in a better type of shape now, especially now that he's dealt with his back thing, haven't seen any evidence of his back injury. He's potentially in the best shape of his life. 
because I think he's leaner. He looks a bit leaner. You know, he's not that that big muscular guy that we were used to seeing 10 years ago or even five years ago. And I, I just, I, I would love to find a way where I'm like, oh yeah, maybe Sinner takes two sets off him and Djokovic really wrings the water out of him and, and then Tsitsipas just finishes him off with the final. But I mean, what kind of idiot bets against Rafa Nadal at the Roland Garros? The guy's won 101 out of 103 matches. Like, I, I really, I really like, like, there's no blueprint. You know, sometimes with, with players, you can be like, well, here's the blueprint of how to undo it. There isn't one. You know, when Djokovic beat him, it, he was going through a lot of injury stuff that we later found out about. Well, Sodling, we kind of thought was a blueprint, but no other player, you know, there's been a lot of players like Sodling and no one has, has been able to do it. So I, I can't really see how anyone has a chance. Uh, I don't know. He's going to have to pull a hamstring in a really big way. That's the that's the only the only thing I think that stops him is injury, and that doesn't look very likely. Yeah, no, I, I think I have to agree. I, I really hope, uh, being a big Sitspass fan, I really hope we can have that final and we can see Sitspass taking him to five sets and, and beating him and it being amazing. But uh, I, I do, I do question <laughs> it's, it's, it's dreamland, isn't it? Like it's yeah. just, it's, it's complete fantasy. It is, it is. But uh, you know, we can we can only help, uh, only hope. I mean. Um, yeah, well, that's pretty much it. Uh, this section has um, been a, a tad longer than uh, than I thought, but uh, so, so insightful. Really, really pleased to have you on, James. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me, Mike. Anytime. Yeah, no, uh, and you're definitely welcome back again uh, anytime. We'd love to have you back on. Um, been really interesting listening to you speak. And um, yeah, enjoy the next section coming up with Marcus and I. Okay, well, we really hope you enjoyed that short section with James. Really pleased to have him on the podcast and um, will be brilliant if we could get him on again in the future. Um, now for this main second section of the podcast, as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Marcus Ali. Marcus, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. It's been a, a turbulent opening few days at the French Open. Who'd have thought we'd lose two of the top seven uh, it, it, on the on the men's side, two of the top seven in the world going out in the first round. So yeah, never a dull moment, and uh, yeah, can't wait to get talking about it. Yeah, so as you touched on uh, there, Marcus, uh, there's been a couple of shocks in the first round. Um, I think for the bulk of this section, we're going to look ahead at the the third round matches that we have got uh, set up now, with the first round and second rounds coming to a conclusion. Um, as we're talking right now, we've still got Nadal Gasquet to come tonight and uh, Carlos Alcaraz um, is a couple of games away from getting into the second round. Other than that, all of the first matches are done. Uh, but we will start with those first round upsets before we move on to, to the third round sort of previews. Um, Dominic Team losing in five sets to Pablo Andahar. I saw the end of this. Actually, really nice to see. Um, wasn't so aware of Pablo Andahar's sort of personality, actually seems like a really, really decent bloke. Um, been on the tour a long time, never really had, I think it was, he's never had a win against a top five player. Um, and um, yeah, a, a fantastic result against Dominic Team. Might have been top 10 player actually, um, before he beat Federer the other week. Um, what do we say about Dominic Team? Um Obviously, he's had some injuries, but this is a match that I certainly didn't see him losing. Uh, I haven't seen too much of 
Pablo Andahar recently in, until that Federer win. Uh, but I think we're all taking that with a pinch of salt, really. Um, were you surprised with this, Marcus? Of course, I was surprised. Yeah, um, it, it was a huge shock to me. Made even more amazing by the fact that the team was two sets up against against a thirty five year old. That outside the real clay season, Andahar doesn't even really play that often. So for him to have the drive and the fitness, I know he's played quite a lot. I suppose in the last few months, to be able to come back against such a physical player like Dominic Team was really impressive. Um, he's down at sixty eight in the world, which is a little bit lower than where he started off the year. But he's not a player that I envisage hanging around in the top 100 for many more years, even to sort of this point next year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he'd fallen away. So it was a real surprise. Um, comes into it in, in good form, obviously, you say about the win against Roger Federer in, in Geneva. I think we did highlight this as a bit of a banana skin of a first round match for team, but I didn't expect him to lose it. Um, he's really struggling at the moment. I, di- I didn't expect this at all. I know he had... You know, it's a nasty first round opponent given his sort of prowess on the clay courts. But there's no way I didn't expect him to make it past Pablo Andahar. And it's really disappointing that he couldn't really get it together in those last three sets. Um, he just didn't have the answers really. Far too many unforced errors. We know team likes to use his power that he has. It's such a, such a natural explosion that he's got. And when that goes awry, then then the scoreline tends to, just like we saw in the Australian Open when um, he lost to Grigor Dimitrov. I think that was in straight sets. This is kind of in straight sets if you split the match in two. Um, so it's got you know when his uh, when his aim isn't really firing, he struggles to get it back. At least at the Grand Slams this year, anyway. So it is concerning, um, given his his incredible hard court form in the last sort of two years. I don't think either us saw coming. It's it's not as big as a of a blow as it used to be going out of, of the French Open. Obviously, it's a, a shocker to go out in the first round. So it's not a bigger uh, blow to him and, and his future prospects, as I would have said maybe a couple of years ago. But to lose in the first round, I mean, this comeback is really stuttering and it's really disappointing for him. He really didn't have any answers apart from that he needs to practice a lot harder uh, in his press conference after the match. So, yeah, hugely disappointing from Dominic team. Um, I know I had him to go on and make the quarterfinal, I think. So, yeah, he'll be gutted, but plenty of time now to rest and recover and focus on what he did wrong and, and try and come back stronger. Yeah, I mean, this is a player who we're not expecting to see much at all from over the grass court season. Um, so when it's at the tournament where he's arguably had the most success in his career, um, I, I guess he's won the US Open Um so other than that, you know, he's made the final twice at Roland Garros, the semi-finals twice. Um, if you look at his Wimbledon record, made one fourth round. Every other year he's played it, he's gone out in the first or second round. Um, do you think now maybe this is a point for a team uh, as he's gone out early in the French? Do you think this is a good opportunity for him to improve on the grass this season and maybe look to do a, make a run at Wimbledon or do you think he should maybe use this as time to sort of focus on what he needs to do right like you say into the hardcore season and not essentially uh, give up on, on the grass court season or anything but, but do you think he's better off perhaps putting his eggs into the basket for the hardcore season rather than the grass court season? No not at all I think as we've seen this shift in his mid-20s to being stronger on the hard courts. I don't see why that can't sort of translate into some grass court form at some point. I know it's going to be a shorter grass court season than we're used to. Um, so I'm not really sure how many players 
uh, are going to get a certain amount of tournaments in. Like even the players that play every week, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get up to sort of five, six tournaments. I don't don't think that'll be possible. So um, it's not like he's going to lose tons of ground. He won't have many points to defend. So I think it's a good opportunity for him to to gain some points and um, yeah, just improve. He's he's got a best of a fourth round appearance at Wimbledon in 2017, and that's he's, he's gone out in in the third round or earlier every other time he's played it. So the bar's set quite low. Um, so I think he should definitely definitely in, improve on that, and maybe even you know there's a couple of tournaments in Germany. I know he's from Austria, but that, that'd be quite local for him. I think he could I could definitely do it, see him d- doing quite well on the grass. Now, as I said uh, in my bit, uh, the, the, that one fourth round, every other round, it's been, every other Wimbledon, it's been first or, or second round for team. Um, so yeah, not not the best Wimbledon uh, record, but perhaps you know he can he can use this time to improve uh, practice on the grass and and maybe make a, a debut quarterfinal Wimbledon, which would be great to see. I think for for the British crowd. Um, the other big shock in the first round, uh, Andre Rublev, the world number seven. Uh, and seventh seed going out to Jan Leonard Struff. Um, you know, Struff, uh, a better and more rounded player than Pablo Andahar on a more consistent basis. But again, one of these players, a, a bit like Andahar, really, who's sort of always there, but uh, you never really expect to get to get a win like this in the first round. Struff led uh, by two sets. Rublev actually got it back to, to two sets all. And I think Considering we saw Rublev beat the clay court king earlier this clay court season, that being Nadal, um, this was a real surprise to me. I, I really wasn't expecting Struff to, to come through this. I think we both may have had um, Rublev to the quarterfinal, I think, or maybe the fourth round. Um, I think we had Karatsev uh, to knock him out, and obviously we'll, we'll get onto that bad prediction a bit later on. But um, yeah, what did you make of this? Uh, a, another great win for Jan and the Strift today. He beat Bagnes in straight sets, so quite clearly playing well. And what I should also mention is Anderhar is now out of the tournament. He went out in uh, five sets to Federico Delbonis, the very informed Federico Delbonis. So he he has gone, but uh, Jan and the Strift still very alive and, and kicking and looking good today against Bagnes. So um, yeah, but but mainly on Rublev, what, what are you thinking on him? On reflection, I'm I'm just trying to wonder: Have we inflated our opinions of his clay court game solely due to that win against Rafael Nadal in uh, Monte Carlo? I, th- I think it was. Um, it was a bit of a half-cooked Nadal that day, and I'm just um, maybe thinking in retrospect if that's made us go a little bit too big on on Rublev in the um, in our predictions. I'm I'm not sure how many clay titles he's got. I think definitely won Hamburg, I think it was last year, but that could be his only one. Um so yeah, maybe he is much better on the hard courts. Obviously he's beaten the likes of Sitsipas consistently uh, uh, on the hard courts. So yeah, I'm just worried maybe there's a way to go for him on the clay that I thought maybe he didn't. I thought he was a bit more transferable. Um but Janel Struff, it's 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 not a disgraceful loss, really. Um, when Struff shows up, he is a he's a tough player, uh, to, especially to get in the first round. I tried to have a look into it because after that result, I instantly said to you that I think Rublev struggles against the big servers, and I've done some research. I'm I'm going to rattle it off now, um, even though my conclusion was quite inconclusive. But basically, this year. Um, Rublev has lost to Struff, lost to John Isner, and lost to Aslan Karatsev. Um, all on the uh, ATP tour, of course. Apart from um, apart from the the loss 
in in the first round here. But beaten Marin Cilic, even though he's been out of sorts and has beaten Janel Struff, but in a match that went the distance. So if you get rid of that Cilic um, win, looking at the other four, and these are the four main big servers that he's that he's played against, if you can count Karatsev as a big server, which when he's firing, I, I probably would. Um, so he hasn't really brushed any of them aside. I think John Isner was on clay as well, that loss. You think maybe is his serve supposed to be as effective on clay? It certainly, he's, he's had a good good start to, to Roland Garros anyway. But yeah, that is a, a concern. Obviously, the stats don't really back up my point that I initially made that I thought he might be having trouble against big servers, maybe too small of a sample size. But obviously, Rublev is only 23. So maybe that could be something to look out for that, yeah, his, his return game maybe isn't as strong as some of those other players in um, in the top 10 and in that sort of up-and-coming group that we're talking about possibly challenging properly and, and going deep in these tournaments in the future. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make on, on Rublev. There are players that, that do struggle against big servers more than others. And I think those stats you came out with definitely indicate that that could be a worry. I think the other thing for me uh, with Rublev that I've always worried about a little bit is is his performances at the bigger tournaments. You know, we're, we're still yet to see him uh, win a Masters, um, possibly even get to the final of a Masters. I'm, I'm not sure he has. Um, you know, he's, he's got a lot of titles but coming from, from 250s. He's won two clay court uh, titles, uh, Hamburg, as you say, last year, and he won Umag back in 2017, which was actually his first title. Um, but, you know, it, they're all 250-500 tournaments, which... There's there's no shame in winning them at all, um, but I do think we just need to see that those next steps from Rublev now at the age of of 22 or 23, as you say. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a shame because Struff, as you say, he's, he, he, there's no shame maybe in the loss, but it, it's still not a loss that I think we would have been expecting Rublev to to um, to be receiving. But as you as you say, I do agree that perhaps that win over the half cooked Nadal, as you described, uh, possibly has put us a little bit more biased towards Rublev than we should be. Um, and and maybe we'll just focus on Struff a little bit. I mean, he's got a tough third uh, round against Alcaraz now. That could be a really, a really good match and, and definitely a winnable one for the 18-year-old who we'll, we'll come on to uh, in a bit. And then the, the other big shock in the first two rounds that we want to talk about until we get uh, before we get onto those third rounds is the uh, round two defeat um, actually today uh, Philip Kohlschreiber uh, rolling about the years to beat uh, Aslan Karatsev in four sets I believe it was um, certainly one that uh, I didn't see coming Karatsev been amazing this year Kohlschreiber been sort of far from that uh, it's been hard to find sort of wins anywhere really for Cole Schreiber this year. I mean, he's he's got a, a couple of wins at challenger level. Uh, in, in fact, actually, since the year begun, uh, he, he's only had, I think, three wins before the, the French Open uh, came through against Vadasco in a, in a sort of veteran-esque uh, first-round match. But yeah, out of nowhere, beating Aslan Karatsev, which perhaps maybe indicates a little bit that Karatsev I don't want to say struggles with the pressure, you know, because he's did brilliant at backing up his run at the Australian. But, you know, perhaps we still haven't seen enough from Karatsev yet. It's a very small sample size, you know, you're looking at sort of four or so months. Maybe we haven't seen enough to predict what's going to happen. And that said, you can't take it away 
from Colshriver, a brilliant win. Um, and great to see a real hard worker on the tour has Colshriver been over the last sort of 10, possibly even 15 years. Uh, I don't know how early he came onto the tour, but he's 37 years old now. Um, what did you make of this one? I, actually, I would say off the free, this for me is the biggest shock. Uh, because team, you know, we, we know has had his issues recently and Rublev, you know, hasn't done too much at Grand Slams yet. So for me, this this surprised me the most. Yeah, definitely a, a, a big shock. I didn't even see him getting past Fernando Vadasco in the first round. Um, quick shout out to another veteran, Andreas Seppi, I think another 37-year-old, knocked out Felix Auger-Aliassime in the first round before going out today to Kwon Soon Wu. So, yeah, of all the players that are rolling back the years, Philip Kohlschreiber is one I certainly didn't expect. So at 132 in the world now. Um, as for Karatsev, I think his, his inconsistencies, given the style of his game, are not too much of a surprise. We see some clangers coming from the likes of Dominic Team, Denis Shapovalov and, and Nikolas Basilashvili. And I, I'd liken these three players to Karatsev in the sense that they are power players. Um and they rely so much on hitting a lot of winners, often close to the lines, um, and just yeah, using their power with the serve and uh, and on the, the the forehand and backhand sides. So when they do have an off day, it tends to look a little bit worse than maybe a player that relies less on powering the, past their opponent. Um, Gael Monfils had an off day today and and really struggled against against Mikhail Imer. You know, I, I put Karatsev in that bracket. You know, we've we've seen Dominic Team struggle here against Anderhar. Yeah, I just think players that hit so many winners on the odd day are going to hit so many unforced errors rather than so many winners. Um, might seem like a bit of a uh, basic uh, approach um, as, as to why I think he's he's lost out here. But these players that are so hot when they are running hot Tend tend to fall off uh, fall off a cliff a, a little bit more, and, and it looks more glaring when when they do have a bad day via the scoreline. So um, yeah, disappointing for Karatsev. I thought he definitely had a nice run in this tournament to to keep pushing that ranking up. Of course, seven in the in the year to date rankings. So someone that's in line to to make the ATP Tour finals via their current position has gone out to Philip Kohlschreiber. I did not see this one coming at all. Yeah, I think uh, a trend really, especially of the Grand Slams as well, uh, that, that I think we can definitely take from this Karatsev loss is that the older players do seem to do well at the Grand Slams. I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I can attribute it to a particular reason. I suppose uh, it comes down to experience. Um, but you know, Wimbledon really stands out for me in the past. Of uh, you know, we get the, the sort of the John Isners, the Sam Queries. You know, even now going much deeper into the tournaments, perhaps than than some of the new players, uh, like you sort of sit surpass uh, Team Medvedev. You know, not newer players, but uh, younger players than them. And and we still see the um, the thirty year old plus players playing well. And I think this tournament. Uh, has definitely been an indication of that as well. Not only Cole Schreiber and Seppi, as you say, uh, we've also had uh, Fabio Fanini getting a really good win yesterday in straight sets against Marton Futo. It didn't see that one coming. He's had two great Grand Slams already this year. Uh, John Isner doing well on the clay. He's booked his place into the third round. Um, and I think it is interesting how we're seeing this little trend of uh, the, the older players uh, perhaps doing a little bit better at the, the Grand Slams than than some of the younger ones so far. That said, uh, we have got 
Still got some really young, exciting names uh, in the third round, which we're going to look a little bit ahead to now. We've got a few third rounds that we pulled out to feature. And we'll rattle through each of them quite quickly because there is quite a few to talk about. But we'll, we'll start with the bottom half of the draw. Um, and we'll start with Daniel Medvedev, uh, the second seed uh, on paper, the second seed. I think in reality, uh, not the second seed. Uh, never had won a match at the French Open before this tournament. Uh, we both picked him to go out in the first round to Alexander Bublik. Uh, he came through that in straight sets and came through a, a four-set match against Tommy Paul yesterday. He dropped the first set, but actually uh, I did watch all of this match and he dominated it from sets uh, two to four. So I, I, I certainly was not worried about Medvedev losing that set after watching those those final three sets. He's going to face Riley Opelka, the big serving American who's come through against Andre Martin and, and Jaume Munar, which is a, a fantastic win. Uh, they they have met three times before. Medvedev leads 2-1. Every single match they've played has gone to a deciding set, but um, they've never met on clay before. I think it's going to be a very interesting match to watch this one because it's two players that aren't really suited to clay. I, I think Opelka's got a really good chance in that match, Marcus. What do you think? Because we've seen him play well earlier. Was it a Romy went on a little run? He was serving very well. Um, and I wonder if he can turn up uh, in this match tomorrow against Daniel Medvedev. I think he could definitely upset the Russian here. Yeah, you said about Medvedev's wins to, to get to this point against Bublik and Paul. Opelka's got past Andres Martin and Jaume Munar, which are probably players with arguably better uh, records on on a clay court, maybe due to playing a lot more on the on the surface than Bublik and Paul anyway. And he only dropped one set uh, to, to to get past uh, both of them combined. So he's in yeah some really good shape as well. Um, did did better on the in in the preparation time on like those Masters events that you mentioned. Uh, probably than than Medvedev. So yeah, this is a really tough one. I think this could probably go the distance. Um, and I think I might go for Opelka actually. I think Medvedev. I just looked at the odds was quite short, which which came as a surprise. As you say, you you, you watched him play against Tommy Paul, so I, I didn't see much of that match. So maybe you'll be a bit more knowledgeable on on how he's playing uh, than me. But I think Opelka will be really up for this and, and fancies chances winning their last meeting, of course. Uh, just last year so he, he comes into it with nothing to lose obviously Medvedev's the second seed no, there's no pressure on Riley Opelka um, but I think he'd be quietly confident um, I'm going to go five sets and I think Medvedev might burn out I'm going to go for Opelka in five yeah Opelka in five was going to be uh, my my guess as well both taking a little bit of a risk there um, Medvedev has looked okay you know other than that first set against Paul he did look good uh, was moving a lot better than I've seen him move on clay before. Um, but it still just looks like a player who really wants to be on a hard court, uh, on a clay court. I know he's said in a couple of media interviews recently uh, that he does enjoy playing on clay. That's after he said a couple of months ago that he doesn't enjoy playing on clay. So he doesn't really seem to know how he enjoys playing on clay. Um, but uh, he, he he definitely is looking better. But how, I, I do think Opelka could... Uh, Bet him on this one. Uh, the next one that I want to look at. Um, so really, uh, the, the way that bottom draw is going with uh, um, Dominic team went out. Um, you've got uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, who really is looking like it's his to lose out of that bottom half of the draw. The way he's been playing this year, he's looked very good as well so far, coming through in straight sets 
against Jeremy Shardy and uh, Pedro Martinez. Uh, went six all in the first set tiebreak against Shardy. Uh, really challenged in that first set. But from there, his last five sets, he's won quite comfortably, not had too many issues. Uh, and he'll be facing John Isner, the, 30, the 31st seed, I should say. Um, he came through against fellow big server Sam Query in straights and then uh, Krajinovic in straights. So actually a very good tournament for Isner. Their head-to-head is very close as well. 3-2 in favour of Sitsipas, but their first meeting on clay as well. I don't see Sitsipas having too many problems in this match, but I do think if Isner can turn up and, and use that weapon with the serve, uh, very much like Opelka, I could see Isner possibly getting a set against Sitsipas um, in this match. I, I, I would go Sitsipas in four for this. Um, but yeah, how are we thinking about Sitsipas? How are we thinking he's going to cope with the pressure that is now on him? Because really, there isn't really anyone in this bottom half of the draw that should stop him getting to the final. No, yeah, I think that might show a bit later on in the tournament rather than here. I think maybe the weight of expectation might see him drop a set here, but not. Uh, I don't think Isner's got enough to get past him. Sitsipas should have the return game. Uh, to be able to work work Isner out, although you know if he is serving as, as good as he can, then it will be tricky. Um, I'm going to be a bit more dismissive with these in the <laughs> try and try not to uh, push this one out to another hour and twenty bumper episode like uh, like the preview. But um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go sits a pass in, in four. I think Isner might sneak one on a tie break, but yeah, sits a pass in four for me. I think he'll rally well and push into the last sixteen. Another player that we wanted to mention uh, from this bottom half of the draw, uh, the five-set king, as we should start calling him, uh, Kane Ishikori. Marcus very boldly put him to get to the semi-final. And actually, it's not looking like a bad prediction at all as as the draw is opening up. Uh, He's got a third-round match match against uh, Larksenen of Switzerland. He's ranked 150th, and it's the first time he's ever made the third round of a Grand Slam. Uh, he's come through in four sets, both his match against Yannick Kampfman. Not uh, a, a match that I was too surprised to see him winning, but uh, then he's come through in four sets against Bautista Agu, which I think is a, a massive result for, for Henri Larkson, I, I want to say his first name is. Um, and um, he to, to, to win that in four sets against uh, Bautista Agu, he's a player who rarely loses to players ranked below him in Grand Slams. We very often see Bautista Agu sort of getting to the, the fourth round or so, uh, made the Wimbledon semi-finals last time it was played. That's a really good win for the Swiss player. Nishikori coming through in five sets against Gianessi of Italy, a qualifier. Um, five sets, was not expecting to see him get taken to five sets in that match, but then coming through in five sets against Karen Hatchinoff. Uh, so I would say, do you think Nishikori is going to be a little bit fatigued ahead of this match? But to be honest, I think we've seen it so much from Nishikori. He does like a grind, um, and I'd still make Nishikori favourite, and, and I'll I'll go for Nishikori in five sets again. Fair play. I do think the 10 sets that he's played already will weigh on Nishikori. Obviously, Laxon and coming through qualifying three matches there, he'll be used to the court. I, th- I think he'll be in quite a nice rhythm. Um, I'm trying not to let that win against Baltista Agut sort of stand out too much because that is a real standout win in terms of how Laxonen's got on in the last year or so. So I'm trying not to let that one match cloud my judgment. So I am going to go for Nishikori in straights, actually. However, if Laxonen can pinch a set, maybe the first set, 
I think it goes deeper because I do think Nishi Corey will tire at some point. I think Nishi's got to get that done, nip it in the bud, sort of two hour job rather than push it out because he's had his injury troubles in the last year or so. There's no way he would have been on court for, for, for this long on a consistent sort of basis in the space of sort of like four or five days. So I think if Laxman can get one of the first two sets, then it could get tasty. But I think Nishikori might, yeah, he should take confidence from that win over Hatchinov. Uh, it, it was a good one, um, particularly maybe getting a little bit more momentum uh, winning it in, in a decider. So I'm going to go Nishi in three, but it's a banana skin. I know it's the third round, so they should all be banana skins, really. The last sixty, uh, the last uh, thirty-two players left in the tournament. But um, yeah, Nishi's got to get it done early. But I'm going to back him to do it. Uh, so we've talked about pressure being on Sitsipas, um and potentially not so much pressure being on Medvedev, even though he is the second seed before this tournament. Uh, never had won a match here, so I think really to get those two wins will be really, really pleasing for Medvedev. But another player that there could be a little bit of pressure on uh, after winning that title in Madrid, I believe, um, and and looking very on and off this year. When he gets it together, he's fantastic this year. Um, but when he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't at all. And they were certainly the case in the first two sets when he, played, when he faced a qualifier, Oscar Otte, um, and he had to go to five sets to do it, uh, which was quite... Amazing, to be honest. Uh, Alexander Zverev is, is the name I'm talking about. Um, and then he was pushed a lot in his last match against Safiulin, the Russian qualifier. I watched this. It was straight sets to Zverev, but I think that was quite misleading. The uh, Russian player ranked about 180th, uh, broke him in each set. He's going to be ranked a lot higher come the end of the year. I could definitely see him being ranked in the top 100 by the end of the year. Looks a real good player, actually. And I'm very surprised to see that he hadn't won a match on clay prior to French Open qualifying because he's looked really, really good since then. Um, Zverev did get through that match despite serving 10 double faults. Um, he's going to face uh, Laszlo Gere, uh in the third round, who's uh, made his second third round at the French Open. It uh, does like the clay court, Gere. He's had two tough matches, though, uh, coming through in four against Quarantine Mute and in five sets against Ketchmanovic. And that was from two sets down. So a fantastic comeback for Laszlo Gere in that match. Um, again, it, although Zverev does seem to have a habit of making a bit of meal of ma- out of matches that he maybe shouldn't be, I'm, I'm going to go for Zverev to win. I'll say Gere will get a set. I'll go for Zverev in four. Um, but also, Marcus, just um, as well as this match, looking at Zverev uh, in this half of the draw, with Tsitsipas only really the, the the only real player in there that you expect to be beating him, is there quite a bit of pressure on Zverev uh, to to progress to the semi final uh, or the, the final? I'm not sure when he meets Tsitsipas actually. Um, I, I think it would be the semi final he would meet uh, Tsitsipas in, yeah, because it would, would have been team that he was going to meet in the quarter, I believe. Um, so, yeah, is there a lot of pressure now weighted on Zverev to make that semi-final? I think all these players in the bottom half of the draw, particularly like top tenants like Zverev, will be seeing a, a golden opportunity. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there definitely is pressure on Zverev. I think Jere is a, is a threat in his own right. He's an outsider in this match, but he's a class player on a clay court. It was a really good late rally to to come back against Miamir Kecmanovic, his countryman, and I think he'll cause Zverev problems. Um, I went for Corentin Mute to actually knock out 
Zverev at this stage in in our predictions, who Jere beat in the in the first round, which was an epic match. I think it was over four hours for four sets. Um, so yeah, that was that was one of the more eye-catching matches of the tournament. So I think Jere will cause him problems, but I think Zverev, once he sort of locks in, once you once you make him angry, as Oscar Otte did, going two sets up, there's you can't really live with him. Uh, or a player of Jere's level, I would say, couldn't really live with him. But I think he'll definitely. Uh, cause some problems and, and, and put some doubt in, in the world number six's mind. So I'm going to go Zverev in five here. I think this could be a really good match. Yeah, no, um, I, I think we are sort of on the same page with Zverev. Uh, definitely a, a dangerous player when he gets going, but he still just seems to have problems uh, when perhaps he shouldn't have problems. That last third round match we're going to have a quick look at in the bottom half of the draw uh, another player that has opened up really nicely for, and I wouldn't say there's any pressure on him, like with Sitspas or Zverev, um, is 22-year-old Kasper Ruud, really likes the clay court surface. Uh, and he's ended up in a third-round match against 21-year-old Davidovich Fakina of Spain. Uh, Kasper Ruud did drop a set in his first round. Uh, surprised to see him drop a set to Benoit Pair, but then uh, won very comfortably against Camille Mychak. I think he only lost uh, five or six games in that match. Uh, it was very comfortable indeed. Uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fikina, uh, his opponent, the 21-year-old, uh, making his third-round debut at the French Open. He came through in straight sets against Kukushkin in the first round uh, before going to a five-setter against van der Zandschalp. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if that's exactly how, how you say it, but um, who was it he beat in the, uh, the first round, Marcus? I haven't got up my notes. I know he beat someone good. Uh, it, was a, it was another five-setter. Um... <laughs> Let me. Yeah, I'll maybe come back on that one, Marcus, in, in your bit. But yeah, um, uh, a, a tough second round for Davidovich, for Kina, looking like uh, a tough uh, second round coming through uh, in five sets. Uh, how do we rate his chances against Kasparud? I'm actually, sorry, I'm actually going to say um, Kasparud in straight sets for this. Uh, feeling very good about the day, uh, the Norwegian player, I should say, not Danish. Um, the 22-year-old, and I think uh, the, the draw is nice and open for him now to, to get a run, uh, and I think this would be the first time he's been in a fourth round of a slam. He's made three third rounds, uh, but never further. It was Uber Herkatch, the Miami Masters champion. He, he was on the tip of my tongue, but I sort of doubted myself and uh, didn't want to get it wrong. Um, so, with, with, with Kasper Ruud versus ADF, I'm going to have to stick to my guns. I mean, obviously, everything points towards Casper Ruud, but the main reason why I went for ADF to, to beat him, you know, uh, in our predictions episode and on tennisdrawchallenge.com is I just think there might be a little bit of fragility in Casper Ruud somewhere. He seems a little bit too inexperienced to be commanding the kind of odds and um, just favour that he's, that he's getting at the moment. He has had a great clay court season, don't get me wrong, but I think... At 22, and what the the lack of um, sort of form outside clay courts has made may maybe made me doubt him a little bit more than I probably should. Um, the match against Benoit Pair was was an epic, really. That was one of Pair's best performances of of the season. Um, it was a fourth set tiebreak that uh, Rude had to clinch to to, to get the three one victory. Um, so yeah, obviously. Speaking with my head, I, I, I do see why you're going Casper Ruud. I'll probably go Ruud in four, but obviously I, I predicted it, so I'm going to have to stick to it. Um, and I do believe in ADF. I think uh, he went five sets with Botic van der Zandschalp, as, as you mentioned, but 
um, the qualifier, the Dutchmen have been playing really well. Um, so I, I think to get through that match um, was was a, a decent victory. Um, obviously, <laughs> made a, made a bit of a meal of it if you look at Van der Zandschop's ranking, but he's a good player on his day. So I think I'm, I'm not really uh, pushing ADF down a, a peg just for going the distance there. So I'm going to stick to my guns and I'll go ADF in five. Picking a lot, we're choosing a lot of games to go the distance uh, in this episode. And choosing more than one prediction there from Marcus, he sort of covered himself twice there, saying Rude in four and then going to ADF in five. Um, he's got two out of six or one out of three chance of, of getting it right. Um, one thing that we do like to pride ourselves on on the Tennis Bandless podcast is that we uh, we do like to talk about the the whole tour and the players that perhaps don't get talked about too much uh, at Slams and actually realising we could be about half an hour into this podcast and we haven't actually mentioned a Djokovic, Federer or Nadal yet. Uh, for those big free fans, uh, this bit's the bit for you. We're moving into the top half of the draw uh, and we'll start with the number one seed or number one seed on paper, as I should say, the number two seed in reality with Nadal being in the draw. Uh, Novak Djokovic. Uh, he has looked very good so far in uh, his first two matches. Uh, straight sets against Tennis Sandgren, straight sets against Pablo Cuevas earlier today on the day we're recording. Um, did go an early breakdown in that first set to Cuevas. Uh, had a bit of trouble with some people in the crowd as well at one point. Uh, got a little bit angry uh, with some talking going on behind him. But overall looking very good in both those matches. He'll face uh, Ricardus Barankis in the third round who he actually faced uh, at the French Open last year and only dropped five games to. So uh, and we were 3-0 head-to-head. I think uh, it's, it's a nice, easy Djokovic and straight sets prediction for me. Uh, Brankis, will just mention, came through against Hugo Umber, that I think he was 15th seed in four sets, and James Duckworth in four sets. Uh, Marcus, word on Djokovic, and I'm, I'm assuming you're going to agree with me on this prediction. You said A word, so yeah, ditto. Yeah, OK. No, that's fair enough. We won't spend too long uh, talking about Djokovic. I think next next week with the later rounds going on, we'll definitely go into the, the, the bigger players a bit deeper because I'm sure we'll be seeing them as the ones pushing on into the late rounds. Um, we will mention uh, Rafa Nadal hasn't actually played at this point uh, whilst we're talking. He's the night match against Gasquet. I think we're, we're going to assume that he'll win that match. Um, but we, we don't want to set ourselves up to look stu- too stupid uh, too early. The, the winner of that match will face Cam Norrie. Uh, so as opposed to previewing that match, let's just talk about the Brit. Because uh, the Brit has had a fantastic clay court season and, and, and a great start to the French Open, beating Bjorn Fratangelo uh, in, in the first round, who actually has been playing very well himself recently on, on the Challenger Tour. Uh, and then beat Lloyd Harris, who's having a really good year. I uh, watched a bit of this match as well in, in four sets. Norrie looking really good. Uh, a, a fantastic return on the Brit. I, I didn't actually realise how good his return was until uh, I, I saw him play earlier against Harris. And, you know, Harris was hitting some decent serves and, and Norrie was just smashing them back for fun, really. And he looked so comfortable on the clay court. Now, I know obviously we're not going to preview this match, but say it is against Nadal, I'm not going to give him too much of a chance. Um, but what are we thinking about Cam Murray? He's the only Brit across the men and the women's draws that made it into the second round uh, of this tournament. 
But uh, now made it into the third round and, and looking so good on clay court. It's, it's been a fantastic season for him after making the final of Lyon uh, just before the French Open, losing to, to Sitsipas. Um, I think making the final of Estoril as well. Um, fantastic for the Brit. Yeah, he's had a wonderful clay court season. Um, definitely one that we w- weren't maybe expecting. But yeah, he's been one of the surprise packages, you have to say, of this swing. Um, and he's only backed that up in in the biggest competition of it, of course. Um, Lloyd Harris getting that amazing straight sets win over Lorenzo Sonego, which I didn't see coming in the first round. So for Norrie to dispatch him in four, um, just is testament to how well he's playing at the moment. Um, he's only 25, still plenty of time for development and world number 45, maybe. You never know, he might might push top 30 by the end of the year if he can continue this form. So yeah, it's an exciting prospect. He's earned his he's earned his crack at Nadal over this season. I'm I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think he has played him yet. Um, but he's definitely earned the right to play Rafael Nadal on on Philip Chatrier at the French Open. So yeah, he, he's been so good, and I I can't wait to see how how he gets on in the prospect of of the third round tie. You know, uh, Nori and Nadal did meet uh, in the quarterfinals of Barcelona earlier this year. Nori uh, lost in straight sets, but um. Six one six four uh, five games against Nadal at Barcelona. I think you said that's pretty good going. Um, we'll assume that he'll play Nadal, but um, obviously Nadal Gasquet still to come. Uh, you listening to this podcast will probably know that result by now. It's sixteen nil to Nadal in the head to head at the moment, so we expect to see the thirteen time champion in the third round. Uh, Roger Federer making his French Open return the first time he's played it. Uh, since 2019, I believe. Uh, his first Grand Slam tennis for quite some time as well. And he's looked very good, actually. Uh, a first-round match against Dennis Istomin, you would say, was perhaps quite kind. He won that in straight sets. Didn't even drop serve throughout the match. Um, Federer holds the record for most matches won, uh, professional matches won without dropping serve. Uh, for fantastic stat. Uh, that is, and, and coming through against Marin Cilic in four sets today, which I watched, and this was actually a really good watch. Um, there was a bit of, uh, what's the word, uh, fireworks in, in the second set between the two players. Federer actually received a time violation, which I've never really seen it from Federer. It's one, one of the most frustrated I've seen him get on court. Um, he wasn't happy with it at all. He was complaining to the umpire after getting a time violation about Cilic bouncing the ball too many times. Uh, Chilich, I think, was enjoying it a little bit. And uh, I, I think uh, Chilich probably did help him in the end in that second set, uh, winning that second set. And it, it was a, a competitive third set as well. Uh, Federer winning it in the tiebreak and then, and then running away with it in the third set. But um, he is looking really good, Federer. Uh, perhaps even better than I thought he would. would do. I did put him to get to the fourth round just because I, I couldn't see anyone in his little section beating him before. Um, but he is looking very, very good, uh, Roger Federer. He'll face Dominic Kopfer, the German player, uh, who, who has a decent Grand Slam record, in fairness. We, uh, had a little run at the US Open a couple of years back. He came through in three sets against uh, Bourges of France, and then in four sets today against Taylor Fritz, uh, which is a fantastic result. Uh, I want to say Fritz was the 24th seed, something like that. Um yeah, a really fantastic win against Fritz. Um, I can't see Cope for challenging Federer, though. I'll, I'll go for Federer in straight sets. I'm going to disagree. Um, I think 
Federer is is getting better with each match that he plays, um, which you know is, is a huge positive moving into the grass court season for him. Um, obviously, yeah, that Chilich being a much sterner test than Dennis Istomin, I read absolutely zilch into that win. To be honest, Dennis Istomin is, is not a player for this level anymore at all. Um, did immensely well to his credit to get through qualifying. To be fair, but uh, yeah, that that really was straightforward for Federer. But Chilich, he had to show some resolve. Um, Chilich is doesn't like clay, but has had some decent results. I think he got to a semi-final in Estoril or somewhere around there. He had one run at a tournament um, this season. So Federer came in as heavy favourite, but got got the job done, to be fair to him. Um, so yeah, Dominic Kurtfer is a tough one, but I really rate that win against Fritz today. That's a really good win. Um, so I think Kurtfer will fancy his chances and probably be one of the, one of the sort of biggest audiences it will have ever, ever played in front of sort of globally watching Federer play him at a Grand Slam so I think he might relish that I think he definitely takes a set here for me and I'm going to go for another epic I'm going to go Kurtfer in five I know Federer's playing well but I think Kurtfer might be able to just get some momentum Federer might maybe physically might might pull something, I don't know, see how it goes. But I think Kurtfer's a decent player on clay. As you said, he's he's done it before in the slams. I think he can pull off a shock here. Kurtfer in five. I didn't say he'd done it before in the slams. I said he had a run beating Federer uh, now. I think that's a ludicrous prediction. Uh, I'm, yeah, Federer in, in three sets. But I'm, I'm all ready to be proved wrong. I would like to see Dominic Kurtfer beating Federer. Not that that's any hate towards Federer, but it would be a a brilliant result for the German player. Um, looking at another um, four, uh, third round, sorry, uh, Matteo Berrettini, uh, the man I've put to beat Djokovic in the quarter final. He's looked good so far. Uh, did drop a set in the first round to Taro Daniel, which I think was a bit of a surprise, but uh, came through very comfortably today against uh, Federico Correa. Um, he sets up a first meeting with Sumu Kwon, the uh, Korean, who's also looked very good, actually, beating uh, Kevin Anderson in four sets. It's uh, quite impressive. Anderson, a, a great uh, Grand Slam player. I think he's he's got to the later rounds of the French Open a couple of times, even though he's not so much a clay court player. Uh, also beating Andres Seppi today in straight sets. Um, so Kwon definitely could be seen as a bit of a danger to Matteo Berrettini, but I, I've seen... Some really good stuff from Matteo Berrettini over this clay court season. After his little injury uh, that he had uh, at the Australian Open, I, I think I would feel happy saying Berrettini in three. Um, perhaps Quan could get a set. Uh, definitely wouldn't write him off getting it, but I'll, I'll go Berrettini in three for this. I'm still feeling good about him uh, beating Djokovic in the quarterfinal. Same, I'm going to agree with you there. I think dropping a set to Tyro Daniel isn't too concerning, really. He's had a decent clay season, got to the semi-final at Belgrade, which, of course, Berrettini went on to win. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think Berrettini, I'm feeling good, look, as you are about him. He looks in fine shape, and uh, I fully expect him to knock out Roger Federer should he get past Kurtfer uh, in, in the last 16. So, yeah, Berrettini in three for me. And then just a final... Uh third round that I wanted to preview before we get on to a couple of the younger players who have done really well at this tournament. Uh, we'll start with a younger player though, the uh, 19 or possibly the 20 year old now, uh, Yannick Sinner, 18th seed. Uh, he's had a very tough beginning to this tournament actually. I did say on the last podcast 
Although I thought Abair could be a really tough one that I, he might be taken to four or five sets too. And he did get taken to five sets against the Frenchman. Dropped a set as well uh, yesterday to uh, Jean uh, No, sorry, that would have been today. Uh, Jean Luc uh, Maget uh, winning that in four sets. He'll face the uh, quite exciting uh, young player, I think 22 year old uh, Mikael Immer, uh, I think is the right way to say it, of Sweden. Uh, he came through a brilliant battle in the first round against Roberto Carbaez Buena uh, in five sets and then beat Gar Monfils uh, in four sets uh, today. Uh, Monfils uh, did very well in, in his first round match. Uh, um, uh, Ramos Vinolas, it was. Uh, really good to watch that. He had the crowd behind him uh, getting through. He looked so happy to be out in front of fans again playing. He's a player who's really struggled since it went behind closed doors because the guy is a showman. There's no point for him. I think in his mind, there's no point for him to play behind closed doors. He just likes interacting with the crowd at the end of that match against Ramos Vinolas. He was jeering the crowd up, getting them all behind him, and he was really loving it. I didn't see any of his match against Immer today. I don't know if you did, Marcus, because I know um, you're quite a fan of, of Immer. Um, but yeah, Immer coming through that in four sets, so a really impre- two really impressive wins, actually, for Immer at this tournament. I'm going to go for, though, Sinner in straight sets. Uh, they're one all in their head-to-head, first one on clay. I'm just going to go straight sets because I think Sinner has that little bit more experience um, in a Grand Slam to be able to come through those tougher matches uh, and uh, be able to get it done in, in straight sets, whereas I feel like Immer, perhaps after those two matches, uh, might be a little bit blown out. But if you did see this match against Monfils, then you might be in a better place to predict. Yeah, I saw quite a lot of it, actually. Immer won the first set, six love, which I actually didn't see any of. I saw, I saw the three after. Uh, Monfils levelling the match, going 6-2. Uh, in the second, and then Imer, I think it was six four six three. the last two sets. And it was a really controlled performance from Imer. Monfils was sort of up and down, getting the trainer on, not looking into it, and then looking up for it when it was a big point. Um, just some usual sort of uh, all sorts from, from Monfils at the other end of the court. But Imer didn't let it distract him, didn't let the occasion get the better of him. It's his first top 20 win. So he'll be feeling good. Um, I do have to agree with you. I think Sinner is definitely the more accomplished player at the moment. And um, yeah, just 19, having got through tough matches against Pierre Guezabert in particular, and then Majer today, um, an experienced player on a clay court, a sort of wily uh, competitor is Majer. So for Sinner to, to get through that one, uh, after getting pegged back to, to, to a two sets to one lead, he, d- he did well to, to see it out. And I think, yeah, you should have enough to get past him there. I think it, I think it'll work him out. I think it may have played Monfils at a good time, despite it being a good, a, a strong performance from the young Swedes. So yeah, I'm going to agree with you and, and go for Sinner in straight sets, but I'm sure that that could be a, a really entertaining match. Uh, yeah, I did see you giving him a little bit more of a chance there, but um, yeah, both going for Sinner in, in straight sets. For that one, uh, of course, making the quarterfinal last year, Sinner losing to Nadal. Um, and as a potential uh, fourth round match against Nadal, uh, if they both get through their matches, could be really interesting. Uh, so we've, we've talked about the, the big three in this a little bit. Um, and I've mentioned how a lot of the older players seem to be doing well at Grand Sands, But there are two players uh, that we really need to highlight uh, coming through this draw. Uh, the first one being Lorenzo Massetti, the 19-year-old, such an entertaining player to watch. 
Uh, he's come through both his matches uh, in straight sets. Uh, David Goffman, the, the being a real standout win uh, in straight sets, and then uh, Yoshihito Nishioka today, who actually. Uh, in its own right, it's a fantastic win to do that in straight sets. A player who can perform well on the clay court. Um, Lorenzo Massetti, just 19 years of age, as I say, ranked 76. He will actually face a player ranked below him in the third round, in Marco Cecinato. However, a uh, very experienced uh, player and being a semi-finalist here in, I want to say, 2017, might have been 2018, um, when he beat Djokovic in the quarterfinals. Um, but yeah, a word on Lorenzo Massetti, Marcus. Um, two fantastic wins. And if he beats Cecinato, uh, a probable fourth round against Novak Djokovic. And this guy can play. You know, I hadn't seen a lot of him play last year when he went on that little run. Uh, I, hadn't, I, did, I hadn't seen an awful lot of him, but I have been watching a lot of him recently. And I, I think he's such an entertaining player. Yeah, I had pushed him through on on the draw challenge to face Novak in in that last sixteen tie. So hopefully he can go on and make that a reality. I think Chekanato is an interesting matchup. He'll definitely, obviously, got the experience that he can call on, uh, having done it in the French Open before. And with the five set format, like you say, we've seen the older players roll back the years a little bit. I think Chekanato sort of in the mind might have a little bit more sort of streetwise ability than the land than Lorenzo Massetti. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be an interesting match, but no, very impressive. Uh, you know, still just 19 and uh, playing, playing such good tennis, actually lost to Nishioka last week in Palmer, which I saw was a little surprised, but I did think he was conserving energy for this week. And now he goes and slaps him in, in straights to, uh, to return the favour. So no, yeah, really impressive from Lorenzo Massetti. Carlos Alcaraz, of course, still in the headlines, being two years uh, younger than, than Massetti. But I think the Italian in his own right deserves to be talk, talked about just as much, if not more than, than Alcaraz at this stage. He really is showing some really exciting signs. He's definitely a player that, you know, will be at the forefront of the sport for years to come. Yeah, for sure. And you lead me on nicely there to uh, Carlos Alcaraz, the uh, the last player we wanted to highlight. I've really got to drill it into my head that it's Alcaraz and not Alcaraz. Uh, keep getting that one wrong. Uh, the 18-year-old ranked at 97. He's only just turned 18 as well, uh, less than a month ago. So really got time on his side. He came through in four sets against compatriot Zapata Morales. I think he was a fellow qualifier. Um, and Alcaraz beating Nikolai Bazalashvili in straight sets today it is a match that I thought Alcaraz would win. I did put him to win on the predictor, but uh, I didn't see it coming in straight sets. We'd have to work a bit harder for that. Um, didn't see any of the match. Didn't know. Well, you know, Bazalashvili is definitely one who's prone to having a bit of an off day. Uh, but the way that Alcaraz uh, flew through qualifying, didn't drop a set there. He's only dropped the one set to Zapata Morales. Um, and facing uh, Jan Lennestruff, who beat Rublev in the uh, first round. Uh, this one, I, I'm going to go for Alcaraz, Alcaraz uh, in three sets. Yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm really going to back the, the young Italian playing very well. I'm going to have to beat Struff in three sets. And I realised I didn't do a prediction for Messetti Cecinato, so I'm going to go for Messetti in four for that one. Uh, but yeah, Marcus, a word on Carlos Alcaraz and a player who you've been aware of it for a year or two now and, and he's been looking really fantastic. Yeah, that win Basilash- against Basilashvili is huge. Um, you know, the biggest of his career, definitely. 
Um, and to do it in straights is particularly impressive. Basilashvili with two titles to his name this year already. So a player that's in fine nick, obviously, as as I've already mentioned, when he has an off day, it, it is usually quite a big one. Um, so I'll have to wait to watch the highlights, whether I decide that that's why Alcaraz has won so convincingly. But no, it's, it's awesome to see. Um, he's obviously showing a lot of ability on the clay courts, um, sort of rising up through the challenger, getting a lot of points there. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on uh, after this tournament. But yeah, that match against Struff, that's probably the end of the road, uh, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I have been quite hesitant on Alcaraz this tournament. I actually thought Zapata Marias would, would give him a better game and probably even beat him. So no, he's surprising me this week. Um, he flew through qualifying, only lost 11 games. So yeah, he's he's really putting it into performances on on the main draw, and and that's a brilliant win against Basilashvili. Struff will be very difficult. Um, so I, I think the German could could beat him in straights or four. I don't know. I, I'm not too as fast on doing predictions on sort of Massetti and Alcaraz. It's it's good to have them playing the way they are um, at the moment. So yeah, two players that are really good to watch. And yeah, Alcaraz so much time on his side. Um, so yeah, I'm sure he'll, he'll enjoy that victory against against Basilashvili. Yeah, a really one of the better players that we've seen this year. So I think that pretty much rounds up our discussion on the French Open so far. And looking ahead at those third round matches, uh, just another little bit of news uh, to get through away from the French Open actually. Uh, Andy Murray has pulled out of Nottingham, which was going to be next week. Um, still hoping to play the uh, the tournaments after, I assume, Queen's and, uh, and of course, Wimbledon. Um, I don't know if there's much else you want to add on that, Marcus. So we'll, it's a discussion that we've been having quite a lot recently about um, sorry, Andy Murray when he, when he ends up pulling out of tournaments. But just another shame to see, really, just two... Uh, three weeks, sorry, before the start of Wimbledon, seeing him uh, put out of another tournament. Um, yeah, I, I kind of take it as it comes with the severity of, of the injury that he had and the sort of in, enormity of the operations that he has had. So, um, yeah, very disappointing. Obviously, decided not to play the French Open to focus on the grass court season. I do wonder whether we might see him mainly play doubles as it goes on. But, of course, we'll have to wait and see. Um you know, hopefully he can do what Philip Kohlschreiber has done in, in the French Open today, uh, roll back the years and, and get a good win that maybe isn't expected as much. Um, so, yeah, hopefully. I mean, him playing pay, pain-free would be the ultimate goal, um, no, no matter sort of how, he, how his fortunes turn out. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's hopefully not an injury setback and hopefully just, just want some more practice time, some more preparation time and can can sort of schedule his, his preparation a little bit better this way. Maybe an optimistic view, but yeah, so maybe a little concern about Andy Murray, but hopefully we do see as, as much of him as we can, whether that's playing the doubles or the singles at both Queens and Wimbledon just around the corner. Yeah, I assume it would have been announced by now if it was going to happen, but uh, how great would it be to see uh, Murray and Lopez teaming up at uh, the Queens doubles again? They entertained a lot of us two years ago. Um, so ending this podcast on, on a pretty meagre note, um, but uh, going forward into the French, definitely a lot to look forward to. We will be back uh, next week, probably, uh, or at the weekend, um, where we'll start looking at the, the later rounds and we'll be uh, talking uh, about the women's uh, singles side of the things as well, going into the second week. A really interesting tournament developing there, everything that's happened with Naomi Osaka. 
uh, Ashbarty putting out today. Uh, it's really looking eager, Swiatek, uh, Swiatek to lose, I should say. Um, the 20-year-old who won it last year is being so young and having all the pressure on you to win this tournament. Uh, it's going to be very interesting seeing how that develops next week uh, on the women's side of the draw. Really interesting. She would be the first person to win back-to-back, sorry, the first woman to win back-to-back French Open titles since 0708, I believe it is, uh, when Hernanda did, uh, did it. So, uh, uh, fantastic um, athlete, sweet tech, and we'll, we'll see how she gets on next week in the women's. But uh, that's pretty much all for today. Marcus, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And um, yeah, we should be back after the third round, in between the third and fourth round, I think, at some point. So yeah, enjoy the tennis. Yep, sounds good. See you later.